Which UCLA freshman could have the most impact and potentially win Pac-12 Freshman of the Year? Hmm. We'll talk about that. And let's take a look at the MLB draft review for UCLA baseball and football. How does that connect to Chip Kelly? We'll tell you all that and more on Locked On UCLA. You are Locked On UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On UCLA Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Anderson Yoxheimer. Thanks for making this episode your first listen. And every episode, your first listen each and every day, it's free where we get your podcast. And it's available on YouTube. Like, comment, and subscribe. Thanks for your support. Become an everyday listener of the Locked On UCLA Podcast. You will not be disappointed. In the meantime, we're going to start right where it says, hey, let's get ready to rock and roll because it's all about Who's going to be that Pac-12 freshman of the year? UCLA got a Pac-12 freshman of the year winner in a Dambona. And what does that mean going forward for this UCLA class, a youth movement where there are so many players who will be incoming freshmen, maybe a little bit older, maybe some younger, as the Bruins completely shift their whole entire roster into something that we don't even expect or know that could be something incredibly great or could be terrible. So what? who could be of all the guys that UCLA is bringing in of the freshmen that could be a, a good player and win Pac-12 Freshman of the Year in their first season. UCLA is going to have so many guys, they almost might take votes from each other if they're all playing really well, and they might have a co-Pac-12 Freshman of the Year. That's best-case scenario, everything in between. So the three domestic products that the Bruins brought were Devin and Brandon Williams, and then you've got the likes of Sebastian Mack, which is where we're going to start with these first three guys, We'll start with Sebastian Mack, who is a 6'3 combo guard from Las Vegas, Nevada. The third high school player that was signed during the early signing period for UCLA way back in the middle of November. Think about that. We're now four months away from the middle of November when we're about to just begin college basketball season in the heat of the college football end of their regular season. And then everything gets crazy after that. So just think how close and how long it's been since the Bruins have gotten Sebastian Mack. So he's for, he just came from Coronado High School. That's out of Henderson, Nevada. Was ranked as high as number 36 in the nation, according to the UCLA press release. And he was the seven number seven shooting guard in the country, according to rivals, and is someone who could easily help UCLA in the backcourt if he earns those minutes. In my mind, I'm not entirely sure. In a highly competitive backcourt with multiple guys in terms of experience in front of him, he's a guy that's going to have to earn some minutes and really develop in his freshman year to maybe even compete for minutes in a starting job, quote-unquote starting job. If, say, Andrews doesn't play up to par, I'm not sure that's going to happen. But for Mac to get on the floor, let alone be a Pac-12 Freshman of the Year candidate, not entirely sure that is what's going to happen. But then you've got the two Williams, not related whatsoever, but then you've got Brandon and Devin Williams, who were the first two that signed with UCLA, both in amongst the top 100 in the country, You've got Devin Williams, who hails from kind of the Inland Empire, the Lake Elsinore area, going to Corona Centennial, who ended up winning a lot of titles over with Centennial. You might even read an article, I believe, on the Sports Illustrated site for UCLA about his success out at Corona Centennial in his high school days. 6'10", just over 200 pounds, closing in on 700, not 700, 7 feet, 
And he averaged about 11 points per game, nearly six rebounds per game, and about a 44% three-point shooter from the high school range. So what is he going to bring? He's a guy that can go both ways. He can really help defensively. I talked about that recently when I was diving in to the UCLA roster as to who could really impact and who could earn some starting minutes. Williams is not going to get some starting minutes this year, barring some major injury concerns or something getting stopped in a Daimara's contract situation, which while he's not officially a Bruin, we'll talk more Mara a little bit later, he is still waiting to get that process dealt with after Zaragoza is not trying to let his contract end so he can go to Westwood. But Williams, depending on how that process plays out, could get a lot more minutes. You still have to deal with Bona, Kenneth Nuba, a guy who, as Mick Cronin says, a great prospect, with tremendous length and skill, a shot blocker. He is a modern big man with skills and size, and you know he can continue to get better with his strong work ethic overall at UCLA. This is a guy who is a, a sleeper to get some good sneaky minutes in the post, potentially, to seeing how things play out as the Bruins round out their roster. Not entirely sure that's where the Bruins are going to go when it comes to getting a Pac-12 Freshman of the Year candidate. Coming up after that, you've got Brandon Williams. He just turned 17 when the Bruins had gotten him signed in the November cycle. So this is a young guy who is, quote-unquote, a big guard, 6'8", coming out of New York. Maybe might not even get a lot of playing time, considering how young he is. He'll barely be turning 18 when the Bruins get him in the when the season starts in the class during the 23-24 season. So I'm not entirely sure, despite, as Mick Cronin says, 6'8 guard with tremendous skill passing ability, the youngest recruit in the 2023 class, but he's a competitor in one of the best high school programs in America. So this is a guy who was ranked as high as number 40 in his class by ESPN.com. And he's a young guy. I'm not sure he can really crack some minutes, but if he's competitive and earns his spot, he might be a one, two, maybe three-year product before we truly see his name develop in a UCLA uniform as a guy that could contribute if he understands how young he is. If if the Bruin faithful can realize Brandon Williams is a youngster, we'll see how that plays out. Then you've got all the international recruits, which is all the flavor, all the phenomena. Everything is getting excited about for UCLA. You have Burke Boyung-Tunchel, who is still not officially a Bruin, but basically just like a Daimara, basically both verbally committed, going through everything in the process. But we're going to kind of keep them out of this, right? Those are two good options. Someone who is quote-unquote known as and Boyung Tunchell is a guy as who can shoot better than Hawkins at this stage of his career, taller, maybe faster version of Jaime Hawkins Jr. coming in as a freshman, 6'9", from Turkey. He's easily a guy that could battle into that starting role for a 3-4 if the Bruins decide to go a little small. He could easily get a lot of minutes off the bench. We won't get to him until he's officially a Bruin. And Aymara, I've talked about his lottery possibilities. He's got some high, high praise up and down the NBA draft room boards, depending on which site you want to use. As high as a lottery pick, could also be a late first-rounder. Mara easily, as many have started to realize could easily make a dominant front court combo with the Dembona, the reigning Pac-12 freshman of the year. I think Mar will easily have his, you know, good odds as becoming that potential candidate for UCLA to break out. It's just I'm not going to talk about him fully in depth right now. Which brings us to an interesting one. We've got Jan Vide, who I think is going to directly compete with Ilan Fibleul, who Ilan Fible, who is going to Talk more. We're going to talk more about him. So we've got Jan Vide, 6'6 guard 
from Slovenia out of the 2023 Adidas Next Generation Tournament from Lithuania. He averaged 19 points, nearly 20 points per game when he signed with the Bruins after that tournament. Averaged about 52% for the field, nearly an 8, 80% free thrower. A guard, 6'6", can handle the ball well, has been compared to a Luka Doncic, Goran Dragic. I'm going to say that over and over again. It is FIBA World Cup days at the U17 level, 20 points per game, truly taking Slovenia to the next level with his skill, even at the younger stage, the teenage stage in the world championships. This is a guy who is going to directly compete with Ilan Fible for a big-time spot playing for UCLA as the starting two-guard. Vide may be rumored to get some minutes as the backup point guard as well if he doesn't earn himself some starting time. So Vide is one of those guys where he could be a sneaky, sneaky option to win a Pac-12 Freshman of the Year award, right? Someone who could come in, dominate, be a good guard, challenge William, challenge Andrews, McClendon, and Sebastian Mack, two sophomores and a freshman, and even pal- battle for the starting two-guard spot with Elon Fible, seeing how those things truly play out. Who can be better between the two? I, I don't know, but Vide gives me a lot of hope. He's a dark horse candidate for a, a Pac-12 Freshman of the Year award. We'll see how that plays out. And then Elon Fible, who signed with the Bruins officially in late May, May 31st, when he came over from the National Institute of Sports Expertise and Performance in Paris, the INSEP Academy. And when he was playing for France in the previous summer, in 2022, at the FIBA U-17 World Cup in Spain, he was a team-high scorer with 12.5 points, 6'7 guard, a lot of athleticism, a lot of length, was an all-tournament selection in his seven FIBA tournament games, averaged 60 percent from the floor and hit over 61 percent of his threes so this is a guy that depending on what's the role needed if Fible can even battle defensively if he can hit some shots can maybe get that starting two spot as I've discussed in a previous UCLA episode locked on UCLA episode or if Vide's additional ball handling skills and scoring ability gets him that slashing two guard job then Fible could come off the bench and play the two those are two guys I'm truly excited about between those two to battle it out. I think when they go to Spain overseas for that preseason turn, preseason games, preseason exhibition, where a lot of these roles will be so slowly sorted out as we wait for Amar and Buyang Tunchel to come over here and figure out when they're officially Bruins. All signs point to those two, and they'll easily have their names in consideration for Pac-12 honors, Pac-12 Freshman of the Year awards. But I think between Fible and Vide, they will be an interesting battle for those guys. But in terms of guys already signed, those are the two I think UCLA will see them see their names officially in awards considerations for freshmen. Maybe in the all Pac-12 freshman team, it might be all Bruins. If the Bruins are so great, there might not even be another freshman on the Pac-12 all-freshman team. The others might be just honorable mentions and might all be Bruins anyway. So we're all excited about that. Speaking about taking the next step and who's excited about what, take a look at UCLA baseball's MLB draft review. How does that affect the recruiting for next year? And why did Chip Kelly potentially can care about the MLB draft? I think you know, but we'll talk about it here. Coming up next on Locked On UCLA. I'm going to tell you more about FanDuel Sportsbook because FanDuel Sportsbook is the number one sportsbook in America. If you want to take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel, you can get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. So if you just missed going and getting all that betting action in on the All-Star game, well, the second half just started. Everything 
is heating up. And if you're trying to get in the pennant races, who's going to win the major awards? There's no better time than right now heading to FanDuel. You can spend $200 betting everything from money line over under who you think is going to hit the first home run in an individual game, all in an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. And when you win and you're excited, you get paid instantly. Go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. Again, FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets in America's number one sports book, FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. Cruising on segment two of the Locked On UCLA podcast, Zach Anderson, Yoxheimer with you guys as we move on. What did the MLB draft bring the Bruins or take away? Because we see, we've seen a couple of Bruins at the portal. Some guys go to the draft. Former Bruins, new Bruins, all impacted by who was or wasn't drafted in the MLB draft. So this might be a small, shorter review than you might be expected. I know the Daily Bruin wrote a very good article about a lot of this. And what I think is important first off is what is the Chip Kelly connection and the UCLA football connection to UCLA looking for? Who is that two-sports star? Well, we know John John Vons is a two-sports star. But then incoming four-star receiver, Grant Gray, is someone who found himself finding more and more traction as a two-sport athlete and eventually found his way to UCLA, slowly creeping up potentially late-round draft picks for MLB prospects in those later rounds of the draft, ended up not getting drafted, which for UCLA fans might be a blessing, while for Gray, who would have loved to hear his name called even as a high schooler, maybe wouldn't have signed considering he's playing two sports and could have gotten an education beyond that, but he still has to wait some time before he gets his UCLA baseball, baseball uniform on and then gets to maybe go through the MLB draft requirements again. But a four-star receiver supposed to make some impact in a deep receiver room with a deep running backs room and everything in between. So you got Gray coming in, who was one of their higher-touted incoming prospects from the receiver room, along with Jeremiah McClure. But most importantly, Gray is going to be a Bruin. He is wasn't drafted, and he will still stay with UCLA. But here are the Bruins that were drafted. You've got Alonzo Treadwell, second round with the Astros. Kyle Carroll's fifth round with the Rockies. Charles Harrison, seventh round with the St. Louis Cardinals. Jake Brooks with the Miami Marlins in the 11th round. Darius Perry in the 15th round with the Rockies. And Ethan Flanagan, 17th round with the Cubs, the left-hander, who may come back to UCLA depending on how late he was drafted. The 17th round, number 506 in terms of picks. You'd expect probably all the UCLA Bruins beyond just the graduated ones, all these ones who got drafted and then you mix in the portal and everything. These guys are probably gone. I know there's a lot of hope that Flanagan can come back and maybe be a big focal point for the UCLA rotation going forward. But he is drafted by the Cubs after a year of 31 and two-thirds innings pitched with an ERA over five. The Cubs took a chance on him. We'll see how that plays out. But what's important is, is that the majority of UCLA's incoming recruits actually weren't selected or if that selected early enough that they might leave and go to the draft or try to play their professional route instead of going to UCLA. So one, you hope that Flanagan can come back and maybe bolster that rotation. And mind you, at the recording of this podcast, there's been no news. Either way, it's late July. I believe July 25th is the date I saw. That is when you have to officially sign the deadline, everything in between. So here we are with UCLA getting one of their highest drafted Bruins in a draft since 2019 when Ryan Garcia was drafted way back when as the 50th overall pick. So here we are, UCLA, looking good for the recruiting class 
from what I've read. Still a good chunk of it not drafted. They should come in and try to revitalize this UCLA program, which has somewhat stumbled since that dream 2019 season when they were the number one overall seed, couldn't get past Michigan in the Super Regionals, and eventually Michigan ran all the way to the national championship game in a best of three against Vandy and fell just short in Omaha. So the Bruins have not been close to the peak of their powers in recent years. You mix in the COVID season. You mix in those couple of weird seasons. Now there's the Pac-12 tournament. Then they're moving to the Big Ten. A lot of question marks about how this UCLA program is going. But as they transition out of a good baseball conference, I would say, to a maybe more favorable conference for UCLA in terms of moving to the Big Ten, I think the Bruins should be fine. But this is that that incoming class that gets a little flavor of both, right? You get one year of the Pac-12, you see what it's like to play West Coast baseball for a year at the collegiate level, and then you go play in Big Ten country where you might have to play a bit of some cold games during conference play if those are early, depending on how the schedule shakes out in a year plus from now, a couple years from now. But here we are, the Bruins, I think, looking good. The MLB draft didn't completely strip them of talent of guys who they either weren't expecting are ready to come back or of their incoming recruiting class. So John Savage should be happy about that. And Grant Gray, hey, he's still a Bruin. Let's talk about that all and more throughout the rest of the summer, building it in to more Locked On UCLA episodes. But speaking of finishing these things, UCLA has their final year of women's basketball opponents released. What does this mean? And do they get a break? What does that really affect this team that has a lot of hype? We'll tell you all that and more. Coming up next on Locked on UCLA. Welcome back to Locked on UCLA. Zach Anderson, Yox, I'm with you guys as the Bruins prepare themselves for their last year in the Pac-12. I know the Big Ten's coming up. I know UCLA women's basketball is going to play Purdue to start the season. They've got some big games lined up later in Hall of Fame Classics. But their opponents in the 18-game conference later, the Pac-12 you get seven opponents where you play them both home and away, and then four teams where you only play one. So obviously, you get USC home and away. Who are those teams, if you haven't seen it, that the quote-unquote number four team in the country in women's basketball, where you've got Charisma Osborne, you got a returning starter in Cameron Brown, basically four of the five starters returning for UCLA, and the way too early top 25 for UCLA women's hoops, they're number four in the country. That would be a one-seat host that first round and set themselves up potentially nicely for a deep run in the tournament next year in March of 2024, as we hope can be a good national championship contending roster with only a few true contenders, we think. So what did the Bruins get in their last year of Pac-12 play? Well, the teams they play twice are Arizona and Arizona State. You get Colorado, Utah, Oregon and Oregon State, and then obviously USC. The teams they only play once, which are at home, are the Washington schools. You play Washington and Washington State. And then on the road, you get to play Cal and Stanford, which is interesting because last year the Bruins had to play Stanford three times if you include the Pac-12 tournament. So a a decent rivalry, one of the teams that's usually atop the Pac-12 year in and year out under head coach Vanderveer, Tara Vanderveer. You've got the Bruins only playing them once. You go on the road, which is you know a little bit tougher going up to Maples. I think the schedule stacks up quite nicely for UCLA overall. You bring the Washington schools over to Poly Pavilion for what could be their last trips to Westwood in quite some time. And I think UCLA did okay only getting one chance with Stanford. I know you like to play them twice. I think that's a missed opportunity by the Pac-12 to not have the SoCal schools 
and the, the Bay Area schools play twice in the last year of the Pac-12. I know that's the whole rotating schedule, and that's the point of it. But UCLA women's hoops would love to win that big game against Stanford, considering Lauren Betts, who just came over from Stanford, the former number one recruit in a previous recruiting class. It's interesting she only gets one chance, at least in the regular season, to play her former squad as the Bruins go back to Palo Alto, and she returns to where she played for a year. But she joins Charisma Osborne, joins Cameron Brown, joins just about everybody else on this roster that is going to make a big impact for this UCLA team. We can't forget Gabriela Jaquez. You have Gina Conti, or excuse me, you've got Emily Bessoir. You've got everything in between. So forget Conti. I might have butchered that one. But you've got London Jones. You've got Kiki Rice. You've got Bessoir. Osborne, Sontag, Gabby Hawkins, Cameron Brown. The two, yeah, Brown and Osborne are coming back for that extra year, mixed in with Betts. Bessoir, the 6'4 shooting redshirt junior, she'll be. The, the Bruins should be good under Corey Close in this last year of Pac 12 play. You wonder how it'll transition to the Big Ten. I talked about that earlier. Which of the programs could truly jump up and succeed in the Big Ten? UCLA Women's Hoops could certainly be one of those programs, but they could also leave the Pac 12 with a nice note of a championship potential roster going into this new season. A lot of question marks about UCLA men's hoops, UCLA women's hoops. Goodness gracious. They are as stacked as it gets. They've already got some two big time commits coming in for the class of 24 as they are going to usher out Osborne officially with Cameron Brown, maybe more, but again, Jones, Kiki Rice, you mix in Bissoir, Osborne, Hawkes, Brown and Betts. That's a that's as good as it gets. That's as good as it gets, not just in the conference, not on the western side of the United States, across the country for a team that battled South Carolina twice, one in the tournament and another time at their place and almost took them down when they were number one in the country. So a good roster. You mix in a little bit of youth that's got some seasoning this year, and the Bruins could be ready to go with a season that only plays Stanford once. The Arizona schools, or at least Arizona last year, was a bit tougher you wonder how Utah will be. Last year, Utah was one of the top teams across the country coming into this year. We'll see how that all plays out. But UCLA, a clear favorite, co-favorite in the Pac-12 conference. We've got to support those Bruin women. and ex- They have some big expectations. They've got some pressure coming into this season, and I think they can live up to it, and we hope that they do. In the meantime, that's going to do it for Locked On UCLA. We'll talk more UCLA hoops when William Tunchell and Mara either officially become Bruins or something crazy changes. But for the most part, those two are all ready to go and preparing to get to Westwood as quickly as they can. And then, hey, don't forget, UCLA football is just around the corner. We're about to hit to August. Fall camp's coming up. And then the start of Bruin football against Coastal Carolina on September 2nd. Hands up, Bruins fans. Eight clap time, baby. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You see L.A. UCLA fight, fight, fights. This has been Locked On UCLA. Go Bruins.